to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you that we can uh, take some time out from our week, Father, to come apart, to spend time in your word. And we thank you for how great thou art. We thank you that we have a God who uh, gave us his word that we could study and understand. We thank you, Father, for the indwelling Holy Spirit who gives us understanding of your word, illumination of the truth. And we pray that tonight, as we come around your word, that you would speak to us through your word. You challenge us, Father, go by your word. Lord God, that you would be honored and praised as we study together. Father, we would glean from uh, you tonight what you'd have for us. Give me wisdom, Father God, to say those things which you would have me to say. And we pray that, Lord, you'd receive all the praise and all the glory. And as we join together around your word this night, in Jesus' name. Amen. The church at Thessalonica had been founded on the word of God. In chapter 1 and verse 6, we read this, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. They'd received the word and they'd been saved because they believed the message of the word of God. Now the same word that brings salvation to the believers of Thessalonica, will also enable them to live for Christ, enable them to endure the suffering that they are about to face, the suffering that they're going to go through for his name's sake. The enemy was and indeed is trying to undermine the faith of believers. But the thing that will help us endure the suffering, help us endure the trials, help us to endure the attacks of the enemy, is the same thing that helped the Thessalonican believers, and that is the Word of God. The Bible is the most important book in the world. Its truth will never pass away. In fact, the Word of God has directly influenced some of the most outstanding leaders in world history. Martin Luther once said, The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold on me. Abraham Lincoln, that uh, famous president from the United States, said, I believe the Bible is the best gift that God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Amazing that a world leader would make that declaration. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, a Bible which is falling apart usually belongs to someone who is not. I love that. A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to somebody who is not. You see, when all said and done, it is God's word that is the basis for success. It's God's word that is basic to any uh, blessing that you and I might receive. It is basic to any success we may have in seeing people come to Christ as their Savior. It's basic to you and I growing in the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Man's philosophy and man's wisdom may bring change. It may even bring positive change to people's lives. But it's only the Word of God that endures. It's only the Word of God that enables us to change spiritually. It's only the Word of God 
that enables us to know and do God's will. It's only the word of God that can bring salvation to mankind. It's only the word of God that indeed reveals to us God's plan for us. Paul knew this to be true, and here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he gives us, and verse 13, in particular 13, sorry, to 16, he gives to us three characteristics of God's word. He tells us that God's word is authoritative, God's word is powerful, and God's word is effective. Now we're going to take a break from Romans and from the doctor of Romans tonight and then next Sunday morning. thought it might be nice to take a break before we move on to chapter 6. And so we're going to take a break from Romans and consider the first of these characteristics, that God's word is authoritative. The next Sunday morning we'll have a look at the word, that fact God's word is powerful and God's word is effective. So note with me then tonight, first of all, that God's word is authoritative. Verse 13, For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, you received it, uh, sorry, you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You know, in the time that false teachers in the New Testament world. In fact, there were multitudes of people who were following humanism, multitudes of people who were following all sorts of Hellenistic doctrine, multitudes of people who were following uh, the gods and religions of Rome. Uh, Around the world, around the known world, the New Testament times, uh, false teaching was rampant. That's why Paul in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8 says this to the Colossians, he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. And so it was refreshing to the Apostle Paul to find believers who had received the word of God as the authoritative word of God. So he says of them, he says uh, of them here, he says, because when you receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. And for that, he says, for this cause we thank God without ceasing. Thank God without ceasing. You know, there are many today who question the authority of Scripture. There are many today who question uh, the, 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 the word of God is the word of God. They don't believe in the infallible, inspired revelation of God in this word. They refuse to accept his authority over their lives. And the reason is because they don't see the word of God as authoritative. They reject it. Even so-called believers reject the words of God as being authoritative or having authority in their lives because they don't see it as an authoritative book. But it is the authoritative word of God. And because this Bible is authoritative. Secondly, God's word has authority. Because God's word is authoritative, God's word has authority. That's what he's talking about here in verse 13. He says, when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as the truth, the word of God. And if the Bible was written by man, if this was simply a book written by mankind, then it would have no reason for exercising control in our lives. If this is simply a man-made document, then this book has no authority in our lives. 
You go to the library, pick up a book, and none of those books have authority in your life. Yeah, you can pick up a book on dieting, but you know, it can tell you what to do, but it doesn't have any authority over you. But the Bible has authority because it was written by God. The source of the Bible is God. He says to the Thessalonians, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. It is the word of God. It's God's divinely inspired book to you and I, therefore it has authority. Now Bible scholars, if you do some research, do some study, Bible scholars often use the word authority when referring to the Bible's trustworthiness and dominion when referring to its function in our lives. So authority has to do with the trustworthiness of the word of God. Dominion has to do with the function in our lives. And the basis of its authority and dominion over us is it is inspired of God. Now we'll come to dominion shortly, but firstly let's consider this matter of authority. You see, generally by the word authority, what is meant is that since God wrote it, we can depend upon it as being truth. This, this book has authority. This book stands as something that needs to be taken heed to because it has authority. It's an authoritative book, therefore it has authority in our lives. And it was this sure conviction. Conviction that the word of God is indeed the word of God. The conviction, it was this sure conviction that the gospel was of divine origin, and that the gospel was divine authority, that enabled Paul to proclaim the gospel with such vigor, with such purpose, with such passion. I mean, what made the apostle Paul and Silas, when they were in that Roman prison, sing at midnight? So that when the earthquake came and the jailer came, fearing that all fled, why were Paul and Silas still there? And when the jailer asked, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? They can repeat with authority uh, and state with authority, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Why is it that Paul was willing to go through beatings and stonings and shipwrecks and and all the abuse he went through, why did he do that? It's because he believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, has authority. It is of divine origin, and therefore it has authority. Paul earnestly believed and taught others that God had spoken to men. That's what he says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first, but also to them that believe. Now along with this, along with the fact that Paul believed that the Bible was the authoritative book of God and therefore had authority, the church of Thessalonica also believed in the authority of God's word because they received it as it is in truth the word of God. Paul presented the word to the Thessalonians. And he presented to them as it was not the word of God, word of men. And the Thessalonians received it not as the word of men, but as the word of God. And the word received here is an interesting word. It means to accept or to welcome. 
They accepted it. They welcomed it as the word of God. Go with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And verse 21. We read, we read here, Wherefore lay aside, uh, lay apart, sorry, all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Here in contrast to the import, pure manner of living, the first half of the verse, wherefore lay aside all filthiness and superfluity and naughtiness, in contrast to the impure manner of living of James 1.21a, James 21b says, we should receive the implanted word of God. Notice what it says, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is enabled to save your souls. We're challenged here to receive the engrafted word of God. The reason why is because the purity of God's word will preserve you and I from impurity. It will preserve us in an impure age. The generation in which we live, this wicked generation in which we live, it's the Word of God. As you and I study the Word of God, as you and I believe the Word of God, as you and I accept the authority of God's Word, it will enable you and I to live above the impurity of this world. We should receive the Word of God, it says here in James 1.22. No, sorry, James 1.21. The same as the Thessalonians did. We should welcome it. We should be willing to accept what it teaches. Willing to welcome it and accept what it teaches as the final authority for our doctrine, for our belief system, and for our lives. You see, it's all well and good to believe that God's word is authoritative, that this is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God, but it's another thing to accept his authority over our lives. And God's word is authoritative. It's inspired. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. But not only is it authoritative, it is, has authority. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God's word has authority. And we are to receive God's word. We're to welcome it. We're to accept it. We are to accept that authority over us. And we're to do it with meekness. Verse 21 again of James 1. It says, And receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. The word meekness here is humility. We're to humble ourselves under the wonderful word of God. We're to bow ourselves under its authority. And Paul says that the Thessalonican believers, they receive the word of God as it is in truth, literally, as it truly is the word of God. They accept it is authoritative, and they accepted its authority in their lives. Next week we're going to look a little bit more about the word receive, but... Just for tonight, we need to understand that we're to receive God's word, we're to accept and welcome it with authority. Paul was no doubt, uh, Paul had no doubt, I should say, 
that he was proclaiming God's message. He had no doubt that what he was giving to them was the very word of God. And the Thessalonians had no hesitation in accepting it as it truly is. We have today in our possession, beloved, the very word of God. Unlike the Thessalonians, we need to receive it, we need to accept it, we need to welcome it. And it's authority in our lives because it is the word of God. And since we have the word of God, we have a true voice of authority. You know, you and I should never treat the Bible like any other book. Because the word of God is different to every other book. If we appreciate the Bible is inspired if we appreciate it that this is the infallible divine revelation of God to man, then you and I will reveal our appreciation for it by our treatment of it. And the way we treat it is demonstrated by the way we receive it, by the way we welcome it, by the way we accept it as the authority in our lives. Because you see, it's all well and good, as I said, to say this is the word of God. But it's what you do with this book that makes the difference. You know, David in his Psalms often declares the importance of the Word of God in his life. Over and over again he talks about how the Word of God helped him, led him, directed him. It was the, the Word of God was the authority. No wonder God called him a man after God's own heart. And if we believe this is the word of God, if we believe this is the authoritative word of God, then you and I will accept this authority in our lives, we'll welcome it into our lives, and you and I will seek to obey it to the glory of God. The word of God is authoritative, and therefore the word of God has authority. And thirdly, God's word has dominion. Notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. It says there in that verse, at the end of the verse, it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God which you have heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You know, Paul's confidence in the word of God was not wishful thinking. This wasn't blind faith. Paul didn't just say, I believe God's word is authoritative because it is the word of God. Therefore, I believe God's word has authority. And therefore, and I believe that by faith. And there is no basis to that faith. It was blind faith. It was simply wishful thinking. You know, one of the reasons Paul had such a confidence in the word of God, had such a confidence in what uh, the power of the word of God, such a confidence in the, in the authoritative nature of God's word, and the authority of God's word held sway in society, is because of what he saw in the lives of believers. He saw the effects of the work of God in the lives of believers. He says, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. He saw what God's word did in the lives of people. God's word works. It doesn't only bring information, it produces feelings, it produces changes in people's lives. You know, I, I, sometimes we, I think we can, we can get into the 
into the, the rut of reading God's word and just reading it for information. You know, uh, I, I've just been reading through, uh, you know, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Try reading that in a hurry, you know, and you're going through that. There are passages there that it just seems like you're plowing through verse upon verse of information. And if we're not careful, we become blinded by the information and forget that the Bible is not about giving us information. It's about changing us into the image of Christ. It's about you and I looking into the perfect law of liberty and identifying in our lives those things that need to be changed and submitting ourselves to the Father that he might change us from the inside out, that we might be sanctified to the glory of God, that we are, we're to allow this word to effectually work in us. Since the word of God is God-breathed, it has authority. And we should therefore give it dominion over our lives. Now by saying the Bible has dominion, what we mean is that the Bible has absolute mastery or supremacy over our lives. This book is authoritative. This book has authority. And therefore this book ought to have dominion in our lives. It ought to have absolute mastery, supremacy in our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. That's what the Thessalonican believers did. It effectually worketh in them that believe. They submitted themselves to the authority of God's word. They allowed God's word to have dominion over them and it had an impact upon them. It had an effect upon them. The reason why Paul is rejoicing, he says, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, is not just because they received the word of God as it is the word of God, but because they allowed God's word to effectually work in them. You see, you and I can believe the word of God is authoritative. We can even believe the word of God has authority. But you and I can be hearers of the word and not doers of the word, can't we? Isn't that James? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. We'd allow God's word to have an impact upon us. We'd allow God's word to work in us. It has dominion. And the Bible itself speaks of this dominion. Go back with me, if you would, to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 138 and verse 2, we read this. Let's read verse 1 and 2, but it's verse 2 we want to look at. It says, I'll praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. God says... That he has magnified his word above his name. Here we see the authority and the dominion of the word of God. 
God's word has been placed above God's name. The word magnify means to set above, to lift up. And God says that he has lifted up, he has set up his word above his name. Now God's name does not just refer to what he's called. Okay, it's more than just a name. God's name refers to his character, to his person. So when God says, speaks about his name, he's speaking about the very being that he is. This eternal God, this God who is uh, set above the heavens, the creator of the universe, this great and mighty God, he says that I have put my word above my name, above my character. The word of God is set above who God is. And by placing his word above his name, God is saying that even God himself placed himself under the authority of his own word. That is, what God has said has bound his character, his person, and his word to perform. We talked about it this morning, where the law of God came alongside sin to demonstrate how sinful man really was, the sinfulness of sin. The law of God is the demonstration of the character of God and God cannot do anything that is contrary to his own law because his law is the very essence of who he is. He, his word, which is the very essence of who God is, the demonstration of the character of God is the word of God. God says he puts his name under the authority. He brings himself, even himself, into subjects to his word. In other words, what God promises he will do because his word binds him to it. God said it, that settles it. Now if God places his own self under his word, then certainly we as his children must place ourselves under the authority of his word. It's a remarkable verse, Psalm 138, verse 2. For thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. And surely, therefore, we ought to bring ourselves under the authority of God's word. You know, this goes against today's society. And today's society's accepted belief that man is his own God. We live in a generation, don't we, where man says, nobody tells me what I will do. We see this in schools. Our students talk back to their teachers, which never used to happen in yesteryear. Students had such respect for their teachers, they wouldn't dare speak back to them. We see this in homes where children rebel against their parents. We see this as criminals think they have a right to do whatever they want. And recently we've seen this with the recent protests and riots around the world where it seems as if the rule of law doesn't apply to everyone. But you know, all of that is contrary to the dominion of God's word. Because when God's word is received, when God's word is accepted, the word of God does its work in the hearts of people and it molds us to the image of God. It has dominion over us. 
When we give this book the rightful place, when we give it the dominion it deserves in our lives, we allow God's word to effectually work in us that believe. You see, what the world teaches is contrary to what God teaches. God is the supreme authority. And God's word stands as our authority today. It is the absolute authority. There is nothing subjective about God's word. We live in a world of subjectivity. What's right for you may not be right for me, and what's right for me may not be right for you, but it doesn't matter because we can all have our own opinions. But when it comes to God's word, it does matter what God says. His word has authority. It's authoritative. It has authority, and therefore it ought to have dominion in our lives, be effective in our lives. David is a good example here of a man who placed himself under the authority and dominion of God's word. You know, David allowed God's word to have absolute mastery or supremacy in his life. Go with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 133. Sorry, verse 101. I'm going to come to 133 in a minute. Psalm 119, 101. David says, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. Now David was careful that he went no place that would, would be in disagreement with God's word. He says, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. Wherever God's word says he shouldn't go, he didn't go. That was David. You know, two things could have had dominion in David's life. The same two things that can have dominion in our lives. God's word or iniquity. Look in Psalm 119, He says this, Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. This is David's choice. David could allow God's word to have dominion over him, or he could allow iniquity to have, uh, have authority over him and dominion over him. He chose God's word. And because David chose God's word, he was the man of God that he was. Read Psalm 119. Read all the things that he says about the word of God. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path away. Wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. And read it over and over and over. Psalm 119, David testifies to the importance of the word of God, that God's word is authoritative. God's word has authority, but more importantly, God's word has dominion. And when David was governed by the word of God, David was the king that he was to the glory of God, because he lived by God's word. Now we know he sinned with Bathsheba and got it all messed up there with killing her husband. But God still called him after that day, a man after God's own heart, because David had a love for the word of God. And you and I, beloved, need to choose God's word to have dominion over us. It's not enough to know the Bible. It's not enough to hear the Bible. It's not enough to believe that the Bible is authoritative. It's not even enough to believe the Bible has authority. You and I need to allow God's word to have dominion 
over us. We need to submit to it. We need to submit ourselves to the authority of God's word. We need to bring ourselves under its authority and its dominion like the Thessalonians did. We need to give this book dominion in our lives. And when we allow God and his word to have dominion over us, we will be what God wants to be. We'll be blessed. We'll indeed be sanctified as God wants to be. Now next week we're going to explore that more. We're going to pick this up, this, this matter of receiving the word of God in verse 13. And we're going to look down to verse 16 and we're going to tile this together and have a look at the principles of God's word. Because he goes on verse 14, he says, For ye brethren became followers of the church of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye have also suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always. For the wrath is come upon them that uh, to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time, in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. And he goes on to the end of the chapter. But we're going to study that. We're going to come back to this. We're going to look at this word received. We're going to have a look at what consequence of that was in their lives. But tonight, we need to understand that the Bible is authoritative. We're going to see next week it's powerful and it's effective, but it's authoritative. And because it is authoritative, it has authority. And it ought to have dominion in our lives. The question for you and I tonight is, does it have authority? Does the Bible have dominion in our lives? This wonderful book, The Word of God, is a book that if we will receive it as it is in truth, the Word of God, it will effectually work in us who believe. It will give us an abundant life. And it will bring blessings to us and to our families. The challenge for you and I tonight is to choose to submit ourselves to the authority and the dominion of the Word of God, the authority and dominion of this marvelous book, God's Word, and allow this word to transform you and I into the image of Christ. I trust that you and I really do believe the word of God is authoritative and that God's word does have authority and that we will allow God's word to have dominion in our lives. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this night. We thank you, Father, for the effectiveness of the word of God in our lives as we submit ourselves to the word of God, what an impact it has. It changes us. It molds us into the image of Christ. And we pray, Father God, that we would not be doers of the word, that we would not be hearers of the word. We'd be doers of the word, Father God. Lord God, we would accept his authority and it 